Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Chapter 27 Harm's Way Silence and Stars Arkady Grigorievich Grishin sat in his darkened headquarters suite, facing its panoramic starboard window, watching night steal over the world. The stars were coming out, gems scattered one by one across a sable cloak. Only a faint smudge of twilight still lingered in the west. The west, where his quarry had fled. He glanced again at the strangely warped cylinder resting on the buttery leather of the desktop, glinting in the feeble glow of the dim display behind him. Looked at the distorted letters engraved in its surface, letters that spelled out an Air France flight number, an arrival time, and two foreign names. Finally, he looked across the desk to where Merkulov was sitting, his slug-like carcass barely visible in the gloom. Even if Grishin hadn't cherished darkness for its own sake, he would have preferred it to the sight of his security chief. How could the man let himself go like that? Realizing he had Grishin's attention, though doubtless not realizing why, Merkulov pursed his lips and spoke, his cracked tenor all the more jarring in the stillness. Comrade Director, I recommend we drop this matter. Knox and Peterson will have surely reported into their superiors by now. Whatever damage they could do has already been done. Wrong on two counts, Grishin said. The probe tells us her name is Bonaventure, not Peterson. And your situation assessment is incorrect as well. They must still pose a threat, else why send the probe at all? Chastened, Merkulov held his peace. Not for the first time, Grishin wished he could discuss this with Sasha, whose understanding of such matters far exceeded his own. Regrettably not possible in this case, where Sasha's erstwhile friends were involved. Or perhaps there was a way? Grishin swiveled his chair around and uttered a command phrase that brought up a new window on the wall display. It showed Sasha sitting slumped in his chair with his feet up, scanning a report on a data slate. Good evening, Sasha. Are you busy? Sasha looked up, then took his feet off the desk and sat up marginally straighter. Nothing that will not keep, Arkasha. Then perhaps you can help settle a disagreement between myself and Vadim Vasilievich here. He claims that simply touring the antipode control facility would be sufficient for someone to guess the nature of our project. To me, this seems highly implausible. What are your thoughts? Sasha chuckled. Are we perhaps planning on conducting such tours at our next Fort Lauderdale open house? Out of frame, Grecian's hand tightened into a white-knuckled fist. That's right, sit there smirking, you fool. If not for your negligence, none of this would be necessary in the first place. Purely hypothetical, he said at last. Merely a new slant on our old debate about whether surveillance is required within the facility itself. Of course, 
Events themselves had effectively answered this question in the affirmative, but Sasha couldn't know that. A slant that assumes full access to the lab, yes? Sasha sat a moment in thought. Hmm, even so, I would guess not. Your hypothetical tourist would have to be a person of great perceptiveness to piece together the secret of Antipode from so few clues. What about, for instance, your friend Knox and his companion? Is there something I should know, Arkasha? Not at all. I only sought an example well known to you. Choose another, if you wish. No, no, this will do. I really do not know Mariana well enough to judge. She seems very bright, but perhaps not so inclined to speculate. John, on the other hand. Hmm. Yes? Sasha leaned forward. You must understand, Arkasha. John knows half the story already, from discussions uh, many years ago. Perhaps he is not so ideal a subject for your thought experiment after all. No, no, all the better. Please, go on. Knowing what he knows, and then seeing antipode control, could Knox work out the rest, our capture of Vordelak? He is not the same man I knew in Moscow. The years have changed him. He seems deeper in some way. Sasha pondered a moment, then... Under the conditions you have set, and given access to the historical records as well, of course, I cannot rule out the possibility that he might make an inspired guess. Well, well, Grishin said. It appears Vadim Vasilievich has won our little wager. Thank you, Sasha. That will be all. Sasha looked as if he were about to say something else, but the window closed on him before he could get it out. So the project did stand in danger of being compromised. If, in fact, its secret had not been penetrated already. Or, no, what was it Sasha had said about the need for access to the historical records? Presumably including that infernal Jackson Ryan article. That made sense. And his two fugitives might not have dug it up yet. There could still be time. Merkulov broke in on Grishin's thoughts. Excuse me, comrade director, am I then to order spy cams installed in antipod control? Sitting neglected in the darkness, the security chief had concocted his own interpretation of the just-completed call. Dead wrong, as usual. The buffoon would not know subtlety if it walked up and kicked him in the testicles. Ah, well. We must make do with the tools we are given. If one has no plow... Grishin shook his head in resignation. No, Vadim Vasilievich, it is far too late for that. Then his voice strengthened with resolve. At the same time, it is imperative that this situation unravel no further. You will arrange to have Knox and Bonaventure met when they deplane in New York. Ah, by met, am I to assume you mean... Take whatever measures you think necessary. The little Odessa Mafia should be well positioned to deal with this, but stop them. Are you certain, comrade director? With so little time to prepare, we must opt for a brute force approach. There could be significant collateral damage, 
the resulting inquiry. Devil take the resulting inquiry. In 30 hours it will be of no account, no account whatsoever, provided we stop them now. There was no stopping them now. Even allowing for the inevitable stack-up in greater New York airspace, Air France Flight 011 had landed just after 8 in the evening. A short hop to Dulles, and they'd be home free. As the Airbus taxied toward its gate, Knox suddenly found his arms full of Mariana once again. She kissed him, taking her time about it. Last chance for a bit, she said. We're being met. Sure enough, two men in plainclothes were outside waiting when the forward pressure door swung open. They stepped into the cabin and nodded to the flight attendant. In response, she squeezed her way upstream around exiting VIPs until she was two rows past where Knox and Mariana were sitting. There she stood her ground. With her holding up the line, the aisle cleared quickly. The larger of the two newcomers, a big, blocky, dark-haired man, sauntered down the now-empty aisle, grinning at Mariana. "'Good evening, Deputy Director.' "'Hello, Compliance,' she said, her voice neutral. "'They got you on this babysitting detail?' "'Only as far as your transport. Matt here,' he jerked a thumb at the black man behind him, "'got stuck flying you back to D.C.' Matt flashed them a quick smile. Compliance flicked his gaze over to where the flight attendant was still doing her Horatio at the bridge thing. Come on, let's get you out of here before the dam busts. The compliance guy made something of a production of getting them off the plane. Eyes darting side to side, hand poised inside his jacket pocket, looking every inch the armed and dangerous escort. Knox suspected it was all an act to get out of helping them lug their carry-ons. Compliance led them out the emergency door at the elbow of the exit ramp, then down the stairs onto the tarmac. Fifty yards across the apron, gleaming in the last rays of the sun, a Learjet sat waiting. Knox watched Mariana latch onto their pilot, Matt, wasn't it, as the group walked toward the little twin-engine jet. What was she up to now? Oh, wow, one of the new 33As, she was saying. Yep. Nothing but the best when you fly the secret skies. Say, Matt, she went on, if you're going to be all alone up in the cockpit, would you mind if I sat in? Just to observe. Depends. Are you rated for jets? I'm instrument certified for twin engine props, but I'd love to move up if I could just find a way to put in the hours. Susan Alloway, you know her? She's let me second chair a time or two. Okay. Provided you look, but don't touch. Deal. She paused at the foot of the Lear's retractable stairs. Coming, John? While Mariana was busily sweet-talking her way into a ride up front, Knox stopped to look back at the Airbus, now ringed round with catering trucks and luggage trailers. He stood watching the unloading operation with professional interest, having taken part in the post-mortem for the botched automated baggage handling system at Denver International a few years back. One area where humans still beat machines, hands down. Not these humans, though. Knox winced as one of the jumpsuited baggage crew dropped yet another Samsonite suitcase. To a man, they seemed singularly inept. Maybe if they'd pay more attention to what they were doing, instead of looking around all the time, instead of looking over here, 
in his direction. Suddenly, Knox experienced that familiar shiver, that hair-standing-on-end feeling of imminent pattern apperception. Not knowing why, only knowing not to question the impulse, he reached out and grabbed Mariana, pushed her to the ground, threw himself down alongside her. "'Stay down!' he hollered in her ear as the first bullets whistled over their heads and thudded into the bodies of their escorts. Oof, John, what the hell do you think you're... Mariana cut off in mid-protest as she heard the slugs whine and hit, watched compliance topple over, his left eye a red ruin, saw Matt falling from the boarding ramp to land in a crumpled heap. Christ, they were under attack. John, she whispered, don't move, okay? Not till I've got... She heaved with all her strength and managed to roll Compliance's body over enough to pull his Glock 17 from its holster. She felt the bulge of a spare clip in his jacket pocket. She grabbed that, too. She did a low crawl over to the stairs, then risked a look. Five men in gray jumpsuits were advancing cautiously toward the Learjet, the muzzles of their guns weaving back and forth like snakeheads. Listen up, John. In about ten seconds, those guys are going to start hitting the deck. When they do, you get your ass up the stairs and into the plane, okay? Okay. He sounded as scared as she felt. And John? Yeah. Take care, I... She couldn't bring herself to say it. Nothing. Just keep your head down. A thousand one. A thousand two. She braced her elbows and took aim at the guy out front. A thousand four. A thousand five. Funny. The fear she'd felt a moment ago was gone. Like it wasn't her lying there, finger on the trigger. A thousand eight. A thousand nine. Like it was somebody else, somebody she didn't even know. A thousand ten. She squeezed off around, felt the Glock kick in her hands, saw the hole in the line of attackers where her target had been, aimed and fired again. Damn, only winged that one. Then the remaining gray men were scattering for cover. She stood, taking what shelter she could behind the retractable stair, and began laying down a suppressing fire. Off in the distance, she could hear sirens wailing. Up close and personal, she could smell the sharp bite of cordite mingled with the sourness of her own adrenaline-doped sweat. She looked over to see John still crouching beside the stairway. Now, John, go! That got him moving. He pounded up the no-skid treads and dived in the open hatch. She followed him, fully expecting to be hit, but their assailants were falling back in confusion. Maybe they hadn't expected resistance, or maybe they'd just gone after more firepower. She wasn't waiting around to find out. Here, take this! She shoved the pistol and spare magazine into John's hands. Anything shoots at you, you shoot back, okay? Don't I have to flip the safety off or something? Not on a Glock. It's got three safeties, but they all turn off automatically the instant you squeeze that trigger. Think you can hold the fort, Tiger? Uh-huh. He looked pale and sweaty, but hell, so did she. He was maintaining. That's all that mattered. Where are you going? He asked as she turned away. See if I can get us out of here. She yanked open the cockpit door. The flight deck layout looked pretty much like that of the prop job she'd trained on. She sat down and belted in. Her mind raced as she studied the controls. Like she'd told poor Matt, she'd never actually flown a jet. But second sharing with Susie Alloway had been the next best thing. Susie had been as good as any flight instructor Marianne had ever had. Patient, friendly, talking through all the moves before committing to them, and sometimes letting Marianne get the feel of the wheel when it was just the two of them aboard, and what was she forgetting? Oh, right. There was one extra step to the start sequence for a jet. You had to spin up the compressor first. She flipped what looked like the right switch and was relieved to hear the whine of the electric motor. John, she shouted through the cockpit door. What's happening back there? Quiet for the moment, came the reply. No, wait. 
A boom truck just pulled out on the field, off our port wing. Maybe the cavalry's arrived. A momentary pause, just long enough for Mariana to begin to wonder why the airport SWAT team would show up in a boom truck. Then John was talking again. Damn, it's not the cavalry. It's Apache reinforcements. That guy in the cherry picker's aiming something our way. Mariana leaned far enough forward to catch a glimpse of a jumpsuited figure with a two-handled tube resting on his shoulder. Oh, shit. An RPG-7. A direct hit from that rocket-propelled grenade would peel this little jet like a grape. Praying the compressor was nearly at operating revs, Mariana opened the fuel valve and lit the igniter. Under her coaxing, the jet whined and began to spin in a 90-degree arc. Give them as small a target as possible. She could hear John firing out the door. Hear him holler, Mariana, this bastard's going to... The rest of his words were drowned out in a whoosh and a deafening blast. A yellow-white fireball blossomed in the windshield. The yoke shook violently in her hands. Jesus Christ! She could hear John shouting. But how could she hear anything at all when she was dead? Jesus Christ! He yelled again. They bagged the Airbus. Missed us. It happened sometimes with RPGs. Easy enough to flinch at the last instant. Even when there wasn't somebody shooting at you, they'd missed and... My God, the Airbus. Those poor people. Had they all gotten out in time? No time. No time to think about that. The guy'd be reloading, determined not to screw up this time. John, button us up. We're punching out of here. Even as she heard him yell, clear, and felt the thunk of the door lock mechanism sliding home, she was nosing the jet down the taxiway. Ground? She said into her headset mic. Lear 4325 Alpha, requesting permission to taxi. Better late than never. A momentary pause. Roger, 25 Alpha. Taxi runway 4 left and hold short. Now what? It would take forever to taxi the Learjet all the way out to the runway, and all of 35 seconds for the opposition to lock and load a second RPG. Well, she did have permission to taxi. Might as well stretch a point. John, sit down and buckle in. Evasive maneuvers. She didn't have clearance to take to the sky, but even on the ground the Lear was nearly as fast and maneuverable as a Formula One racer. She pushed the throttles forward and careened down the taxiway, slewing the jet from side to side, doing her level best to be an uncooperative target. She glimpsed flashing lights off to her left. An emergency vehicle, by the look of it, could be a friendly. Then again, it could be wheels for a more experienced RPG marksman. Having seen what the opposition had done to the horse they rode in on, she was in no mood to take chances. Not to mention the guy was coming in on a collision course. Screw this! Some of these JFK taxiways were as long as regulation airstrips. She sure hoped this was one of them. John! Prepare for takeoff! Mariana prayed this was going to work. No way she'd had time to complete the preflight. Shit! Just do it! She leaned into the throttles, shoving them forward all the way to the stops. The Lear gave a shudder, then lifted just in time for the would-be interceptor to pass harmlessly beneath it. Ground? She said into her headset mic. Got a situation here. Under rocket attack. 25 Alpha taking off. Jesus, 25 Alpha. Was that a rocket hit AF-11? We can see the flames from here. A brief pause while air traffic control recovered his composure. Then, Roger. Lear 4325 Alpha cleared immediate takeoff runway, uh, taxiway Delta. Turn right 185 degrees at 500. Climb and maintain 4500. Barometer 29.94. All traffic, be aware. Emergency takeoff in progress. Taxiway Delta. She heard the ATC guy catch his breath. Swallow audibly. Best move your tail, honey. Uh, 25 Alpha. Looks like they just fired a heat seeker. 
been listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet. <laughs>